Welcome back, and thank you for listening to this presentation brought to you by The Vadis Project, where we provide you with orthodox and research-based solutions to the greatest problems facing the church today. My name is David Domboski, and this is the first talk in a series covering the foundations of parish renewal. In this series, we're focusing on the essential elements of vibrant Catholic parishes. These will be the building blocks for any healthy and fruitful parish in the 21st century. But even before discussing those building blocks, we need to make sure that we have a proper grasp of the mission and purpose of our parishes. And when we talk about our mission, we're referring to where we're going and the purpose of what we're doing. And so that's what we're going to be doing in this episode. We're going to be examining the problems that our parishes are facing right now, the mission of our parishes, right, the principle that should be guiding all of our actions, and how those two things relate. And so to begin, we're going to very briefly just look at some of the troubling trends that have been going on within the church. But I don't want to spend too much time on this, because again, unfortunately, we could be look at stats like this all day long. And the time frame I'm going to go back to is 1990. So 1990 to the present, because that's when the numbers in the United States really started to collapse. There was some decline from the turmoil in the 1960s, the 1970s, the 1980s. But the 1990s is when the church got hit really hard. Most of these stats that I'm going to share with you come either from CARA, which is the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, or they come from different surveys, many of them done by the Pew Research Center. According to CARA, if we just look at the total Catholic population in comparison to the total population of the United States, the numbers actually don't look that bad. In 1990, Catholics made up about 21% of the entire U.S. population, and today we make up about 20%. And so we might look at it and say, well, 1% decline isn't that bad, but the underlying numbers tell a different story. And the reason the numbers don't look that bad is entirely because of immigration, which has been great for the church, right? Keeping up numbers, but those overall total numbers kind of mask the problems that have been going on. In the last episode, I cited the statistic from the Pew Research Center saying that for every one person who has joined the church, six have left. And unfortunately, those numbers don't appear to be getting a lot better right now, especially among the young. For example, we know that about 13% of all U.S. adults identify as former Catholics, which is close to about 30 million people. And according to the Pew Research Center, 52% of all people raised Catholic have left the church at some point, with only 11% of those people returning. And like I said, it's even worse among the young. Only 16% of millennials identify as Catholic, and the median age of Catholic adults in 2016 was 49, which was up from 45 years old in 2007. And we also know that among those who still identify as Catholic, which there's about 70 million in the, people in the United States, only about 24% of those people actually go to Mass every week. And I want to look at one more study. Uh, this one was conducted by Matthew Kelly and his organization, and I think it's a little bit more pertinent to helping us understand perhaps the biggest problem that we're facing at parishes right now. The study they did was on engagement. How engaged are Catholics at their parish? He shares the findings of this study in his book, The Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic, and he shares it on page 12. He says that 6.4% of registered parishioners contribute 80% of the volunteer hours in a parish, and 6.8% of registered parishioners donate 80% of financial contributions there is an 84% overlap between the two groups. And so he rounds up and he calls that group the 7%. 
because about 7% of Catholic parishioners at the parishes he studied do most everything at the parish in terms of volunteer hours, and they pay for almost everything in terms of their contributions. Now, I cite that study from Matthew Kelly not because the fundamental issue we're facing at churches is quote-unquote engagement, but because engagement gives us a proxy for understanding the real fundamental problem behind the other problems, right? Parish life isn't just about getting people engaged. No, the business of the church is saving souls and transforming lives. And if we look at another major problem the church has faced in recent years, is that many of our members are so poorly catechized. And trust me, I cannot overemphasize the importance of catechesis, but once again, the church isn't in the business of just catechizing. Catholicism isn't just about knowing about God, but it's about knowing God. And I think that really gets to the heart of the problem that we face. The faith that we've passed on to the next generation for a few generations now has been a truncated, a somewhat joyless version of Catholicism that does not facilitate lives being transformed by Christ like they should be. So if you want to understand the most basic and fundamental problem that parishes are facing that lie behind so many other issues we have, I suggest we examine a book by Sherry Weddle called Forming Intentional Disciples. Because from all the research I've been conducting, this book I think best summarizes these problems. And in Weddle's book, the name that she puts on the problem is that of discipleship, or should I say, a lack thereof. We are not a church that has raised up a generation of disciples. She says that the vast majority of Catholics simply don't have a relationship with God. In the introduction to her book, she shares a story about one of her interviews from 2004. She says she was in a Canadian city, and she said a pastor in that city asked her to interview some of his lay leaders. And she says she was talking to a woman who was a president of a local Catholic women's group, and she says she was having a hard time really getting to the heart of this woman's relationship with God. And so here's what Weddell says, quote, I reasoned that if she could tell me about a spiritual turning point in her life, I would be able to focus on the years since that turning point. So I asked her a question that I'd never asked before. Could you briefly describe to me your lived relationship with God to this point in your life? After thinking carefully for a few moments, she responded briskly, I don't have a relationship with God. Her answer stunned me. My first thoughts were, that's not possible. You're a leader in the parish. You wouldn't do that without some kind of relationship with God. I must have asked the wrong question. End quote. And it's also something that Weddell found confirmed in the other interviews she was doing. Now, of course, that was not universal, but she said she did thousands of interviews, and that was a consistent pattern, even among people deeply involved with the church. In the next chapter, she goes on to quote a Pew Research study that says that only 60% of Catholics believe in a personal God. And in the same study, it said that only 48% of Catholics were absolutely certain that the God they believed in was a God with whom they could have a personal relationship. Now what this information helps us do is to really understand the core of the problem that we're facing. Behind all the other challenges that we're facing, first and foremost, we're facing the challenge of leading people into a personal relationship with the God who created them, who became man for them, and who died for them. And so it turns out that the solution to the problems that we have at the parish level is actually the fundamental purpose of the entire Catholic faith to begin with, to draw people closer to God, to help people to know him, to know the salvation that he brings us, and to ultimately have that relationship with the Lord. 
And what we want people to know is they're not just saved from sin. They are also saved for the joy and the freedom that comes with being a son or daughter of God. Now let me emphasize, just because someone has a relationship with God or someone has gone through a conversion does not mean that they're perfect. None of us are perfect. And so a parish life will always be fraught with sin, right? Sin will always have a place in this world. But you can probably imagine how radically different your parish would be if every single person was striving every day to follow God's will. They were spending time with him in prayer, reading the scriptures, and going to monthly confession. Now, obviously, that's not going to create a perfect parish, but wow, would that be a radically different place. People would walk in and know that Christ was there. Now, I just asked you to imagine if 100% of your parishioners were like that. That's a pretty big leap, right, if the average parish is only at 7%. But let's return for a minute and look at a passage from Matthew Kelly's book again. Instead of 100%, right, which is of course the goal, he starts off with just explaining the difference even a 1% increase would make. He says, quote, If we engage just another 1% of your parishioners over the next year, transforming them into dynamic Catholics, it would be a game changer. It would result in 15% more volunteer hours, which would allow you to serve other parishioners and your community that much more efficiently. It would also bring about a 15% increase in revenue, which would allow your parish to invest in powerful and important ministries that would further drive engagement. All of this has a result of a shift from 7 to 8%, just 1% more highly engaged Catholics. End quote. Now, of course, he's not saying that your goal should be capped at 1% in a given year. He's just showing the difference that it would make if we only got 1% parishioners more involved. And again, I realize I just used the word involved, but keep in mind that involvement isn't the goal. Involvement is a way for people to encounter Christ in their community, and in that way, open them up to the way that God is trying to use them and trying to reach them in their life. I'm going to take this time to say one quick thing about the fact that there are so many people within the Catholic Church who don't have a relationship with God. And that is, this is not a criticism of them. Because we have all been in that place before. There was a long period of time in my life that I didn't know Christ. There was years and years that I would go to church and see it just as this boring obligation that I had to do. And it's only because of God's mercy and his grace that I've come to know him and love him through his beautiful church. So to be clear, we're not judging anyone specifically. What these insights allow us to do is to properly understand the issue that we're facing. We know from people's own testimony that a lot of them don't have a relationship with God, or they at least don't have a strong one. But what this doesn't allow us to do is then look at a specific person and say, oh, they're not involved as much as I am, or they're not involved in church as much as I think they should be, therefore they don't know God. No. Instead, we need to structure and form our communal and liturgical life in such a way that as many people as possible can develop that relationship with Christ. To put people in a context when that's most likely to happen, that's the answer. But I do want to explore this a little further. So why would someone continue to come to Mass or even, like I said, work for the church if they didn't have a relationship with God? I'm going to offer two answers to that question. The first is that people are searching, right? Even if they have never experienced God in that personal way, they recognize something good and true and beautiful in the church, and their life can still be lived in accordance with that truth. 
And that's a beautiful thing, right? That people are looking for the truth. And I think there really are so many people in our parishes who want to take that next step in the relationship with God, but they might just not know how. And so what we can do is help them, help them take that next step and have a real loving relationship with the Lord. I think the second answer as to why someone would still come to church without that, without that relationship with God is that, honestly, they've never known any different. They may have been raised in an environment where you go to church and it's possibly stressed as something important to do, but you go, you do what you have to do, you leave, and then you don't think or talk about it again until the next week comes around. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad experience for them. It's just that that's what it is, right? For them, being Catholic involves going through the motions and doing what they're told. And what we want to do is show them just how much more there is and show them just how beautiful and fulfilling and enriching the Catholic faith is. And now let's take a moment and just examine a little closer what taking that next step is like. Let's just think about what faith is. Faith is essentially trust in someone. Now, it's not an irrational trust, of course, but it's trusting in someone for good reasons in order to know some truth that we couldn't otherwise have on our own. A great example on the natural level is, of course, scientific facts. Even for those who are scientists, they haven't all conducted every single experiment and verified every piece of scientific knowledge that they've ever been given on their own. No, they trust the scientific community, they trust those who teach them, and we trust the scientists. Again, for literally almost every piece of scientific knowledge we have, we haven't proven those things definitively by ourselves. And now when it comes to belief in God and belief in church teachings, think about how it works. Where do we first learn these things? We learn these things from our parents and our teachers and our priests. And we trust then that these things are true before we have the chance to really examine these beliefs on our own as an adult. And the goal, of course, is that as our children grow, they come to believe these things because of a faith in God, because they come to know him personally, and therefore the one they put their faith in is him. And of course, that's theological faith, which is itself a gift from God. Now, is it good to trust our parents, to trust bishops, to trust the magisterium of the church? Absolutely, of course. But again, we trust the magisterium because it is Christ who gave the church to us. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1814, faith, quote, is the theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us and that Holy Church proposes for our belief because he is truth itself. By faith, man freely commits his entire self to God, end quote. Now think about that last part for a second. How likely is it that somebody is going to give their entire life to entrust their entire life to someone that they don't actually know? Is it possible? Yes, because the church contains the fullness of truth. But a person is much more likely to give their entire selves, hand their entire lives over, to someone they actually know, not someone they just know about. And this really is at the heart of what Catholicism has always been about, drawing people further up and further in, into the divine life of God. Because remember, Christianity isn't about our search for God, it's about his search for us. He has been and always is calling us to come closer to him. Think about the very first believers, Mary, Joseph, the apostles. They all knew Christ personally. Catholicism has never been about, well, they knew him, but we get to know about him. 
or they believed in him as a person, but we get to believe in truths about God. That has never been what it's about. Now, it is incredibly important that we do know these truths about God, but that's not where it stops. And let's reflect for a moment on some of the divine names that are revealed to us in the, in the Bible, particularly the New Testament. God as Father, right? That fundamental relational title of Father. And Jesus is the Son. He is our brother. And we are privileged to be able to call him friend. And lastly, the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite titles for the Holy Spirit that we're given is that of paraclete. The Greek word parakletos has been notoriously difficult to translate, which is why you may see a lot of different translations of it depending on which Bible you're reading. Just some of them are paraclete, comforter, advocate, teacher, counselor, and helper. And that's because the word literally means something like to be called alongside of. So the Holy Spirit, who is a person, a person of the Trinity, is love, is this loving person who is called alongside us to guide us and to comfort us along our journey. And so in all of these names, we see a deeply relational element in them. To finish up this discussion about the personal nature of faith and what it means to believe and who we're believing in, let's think about our situation this way. Most people in the church never made that transition from putting our faith in priests, putting our faith in bishops, our parents, our catechists, Again, which is all great. Those are all great people to trust. But for the fundamental teachings, the fundamental beliefs that we have about God, Christ, the world, everything, essentially that should eventually turn into faith in God, faith in Christ himself. And so when someone asks, why do you believe these things? The foundation of that answer, of course, should be because they're true, but also because I've encountered the God who has revealed them. I know him and I love him. And every day I hear him calling me into a deeper relationship with him. And the last note on this point, I think this is probably a good time for all of us to think about how we would answer that question that Weddell asks. Could you briefly describe to me your lived relationship with God to this point in your life? And so I encourage everyone listening to this today Take this as an opportunity to evaluate where you are spiritually. Because, again, if you're listening to this, I presume that you are a leader in the church. If you're not a priest or a deacon, then you're someone who works for the church. Or you are a member of the lady who's just trying to help out your parish the best way possible. And if you are a leader in the church, whether you're a priest or a member of the lady, whether you're on the payroll or you're just a volunteer, You need to remember the age-old rule that you can't give what you don't have. And so if we're trying to help guide others into a closer relationship with God, just make sure that you're working on yours as well. Because as you know, it's not about being perfect. It's just about doing our best. It's about taking time every day to spend time with the Lord and to let him work on our hearts and work on our lives. So as we close, let's just summarize the things that we've been going over in this talk. Essentially, I wanted to help you understand the basic problem that we're facing in our parishes. And that is that there really seems to be so many Catholics who never experience the joy and love that comes from knowing God personally. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing. supposed to be saving souls and helping people get drawn into, more fully, the life of God. 
So that the grace and the transformation that they receive in the sacraments can permeate their entire life. And so everything we talk about going forward is going to have that goal in mind. Now, you might have been a little surprised earlier in the talk when I said that getting people engaged at the parish is not the primary goal. And again, if you think about it, it's not. Like we said, it's to, it's to help them grow closer to the Lord. But, of course, as you probably already know, getting people engaged, getting people involved in that Catholic community is such a vital part of that. And that's one of the things that we're going to be exploring in the next couple of talks. And so if you've been thinking to yourself, yeah, there's, there are so many other problems that we have too. We need better catechesis. We need more reverent liturgies. We need better outreach. We need to be more welcoming. Or whatever it is, there's a good chance that you're right. But as we do all those things, we always need to remember the ultimate purpose for which we act. We want every single person to know and experience the saving power of Christ and the joy that comes from giving our lives to him. And the other thing I wanted you to get out of this talk is really just for you to take the opportunity to do some self-examination and to see where you are spiritually and see where you can improve. And like I said at the end of the last talk, we have a lot of work to do. So let's get praying and let's get working. And remember what St. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7. Talking about the Holy Spirit, St. Paul says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. So let's let the Holy Spirit work through us and reach as many people for Christ as we can. Thank you for listening. Now I want to remind you that the Vadis Project is an ongoing work of collaboration in the church. A large part of our research is finding fruitful practices that are already at work in the church today in the United States that we can take and share with others so that every diocese or parish doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. So if your parish has been doing something that has been bearing fruit for the Lord, please share it with us. You can contact us through the website. You can go to www.thevadisproject.org, or you can find us on our Facebook page. We would love to hear from you. Or if you have a comment or a question about the talk today, I'd love to hear it. Again, thank you for listening, and God bless.